Good morning, Cross Point Community Church. It is so, so good to see all of you here this morning. I'm going to take this time now to uh, dismiss our first to third graders back to the watermelons in the back. <laughs> Continuing on with the fruit of the Spirit in the children's department, uh, we have watermelons today. Thank you, Danielle and Hank. And as they're headed back there, if I can just affirm what was uh, what Jim shared and what was shared in that video. Thank you for all of the volunteers here at Cross Point Community Church who, who spent your time to teach our children uh, the ways of Jesus through VBS. And it's not just the ones who taught. It was the ones who made the, the atmosphere. I mean, we're talking about this really cool backdrop that was up here and what happened in the gym and the gathering place. Thank you to every single person uh, that took your time to invest in the next generation. Uh, two weeks ago in VBS. Uh, then this, I just want to welcome all of you here today. I know I said good morning, but I hope you know we love the fact that you are here. You are welcome here. Uh, whether you're visiting with us today, maybe this is your first time here. If, if you've not been told this, we are thrilled you are here. Uh, our prayer is that when you come to Cross Point Community Church, you are welcomed well when you come in and that you are fed well once you're in. That you are fed the word of the living God. And so if you are new with us this morning, I am so thrilled that you're here. You are welcome here. If you are a, a returner here, a regular attender here, we are thrilled you are here. All right, my friends, would you take your Bibles? Yes, even your devices. Would you turn to Romans chapter 8 this morning? Yes, I said Romans. Friends, we are back in Romans. Um, I know this has been the last two months necessary. We've talked about different aspects of church, and we had Mother's Day, Father's Day, a lot of these different things, and we kind of did this uh, break in our study through Romans. Well, my friends, now we're launching back into a fall of studies through Romans, so the summer and the fall. So I hope you're ready. Um, I love athletics. And uh, when I think of athletic competitions, for most athletic competitions, many athletic competitions, not necessarily if you're a baseball fan or a hockey fan, but in most athletic competitions, you have a halftime. <laughs> As a soccer coach, I remember the, the tactics for halftime. What you'd do at halftime, you'd review what happened in the first half, the highlights, the lowlights. You'd talk about what you need to do in the second half. So you would, you would put a game plan together and you'd get excited about what's happening in the second half. My friends, so if you want to look at what's happening today, this is our halftime talk. <laughs> We're going to take some time today. I know you're ready to just roll into Romans 9. Uh, but we're going to take some time to refresh these truths in our minds. Take some time to remember how amazing the truths of Romans 1 through 8 are. Um, I could see it in so many faces uh, last, a couple months ago, when we go through these truths and you'd get into a couple of these words that we're talking about, these dynamic theological statements, and you would grasp one or two of them, and then all of a sudden another one would be brought up, and you're like, ooh, I know we talked about that one. What did that one mean? Well, that is the purpose of today. It is a refresher. 
Uh, today we will briefly remind ourselves of the original audience. We need to do this. We need to go back and remind ourselves who were the first recipients of this book. What was the context? This is something we got to keep in our minds, especially as we launch next week into Romans 9 through 11. You've got to keep the original audience in mind. If not, it kind of takes you for a little bit of a tailspin. We're going to talk about the original audience today. We're going to recap the key points, the movements through the book of Romans. And then we're going to define some of those theological terms. Those ones that, sure, yeah, you kind of scratch your head after I mention them. And you're like, ah, what was that one? It's going to be all on one piece of paper today. We're going to go back. And you know I can't help but every single Sunday do some sort of review. Well, guess what? Today I get the whole day to review. (laughs) So, let's talk about this. Um, You still might be asking, why review, Pastor Andrew? Can't you just go online? Well, sure you can, but why a refresher sermon? If I could just expose this, okay, as a a preacher and teacher of the gospel and part of a pastoral team here, our goal is that every single member at Cross Point Community Church rightly handle God's word. Please understand that. Not just a couple key verses. Not just being like, yeah, I found my five top key verses through Romans and I just want to attach myself to those. Uh, Not just to pluck a couple low-hanging, trendy, doctrinal fruits out of the theology tree. That's not our intention. My friends, our goal at Cross Point Community Church is that every single member of the body of Christ here knows how to handle the Word of God. When we go through the book of Romans, we're not just, you know, touch and go. I kind of like that one, but not that one. Our goal is that you know the book of Romans. That you know God's word. That if you were to sit down with somebody at your kitchen table, and, you were to say, and they were to say, yeah, you know, your church has been studying about the book of Romans. What is that all about? You're not going to be sitting there going, bleep, 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 bleep. You're going to be able to say, hey, open your Bible. Let me show you what it's all about. That we truly know God's word and ultimately, why do we try to, why do we attempt through the Spirit to know God's word? It is that we might truly know God. That we know the God of the Bible. So my friends, why are we taking time today as a refresher course is this, that we truly engage and we know the book of Romans that we know the God of Romans, that this is fresh in our minds and this is clear in our minds. Another reason why we're doing a refresher sermon is that we truly might know, every member of the body of Christ here, that truly might understand and know the gospel. I know this is one of those words that's thrown around a lot, but I'm going to tell you, in the culture we live in right now, I mean, even in this town It is imperative that we understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not just going to the streets doing something kind for somebody, feeding the needy and clothing people. Okay, that might be an element of what happens because of the gospel, but that is not the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not just a fire escape plan. Please understand that. 
So easily when we talk about the gospel, it's taught as this, oh man, this is your fire insurance, take this, and you'll be good the rest of your life. That is not the essence of the gospel, my friends. If you doubt that, go to John 17, and we see the words here, this is life eternal, that you might know God, Jesus Christ who he sent. So we want to know the gospel in all its clarity. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not all about this lovey-dovey God who just does everything he can to shower everyone with love. My friends, certainly, as we'll see today, God is love that is in the Bible. But that is not the essence of the gospel. The gospel is not simply that God is love. There's more to this story. It is all of God's glory. His grace points to His glory. His love points to His glory. My friends, His wrath and justice point to His glory. So we cannot just take elements of the gospel and pull it out and say, I want to sculpt the gospel the way I want it to be. Do you understand what I'm talking about? We, we cannot just take it and say, I like this part of the gospel and I like this part of the gospel, so I'm going to preach this as my gospel. And I'm going to go through this town and preach this as my gospel. My friends, no, we cannot cut and dissect the gospel of Jesus Christ. We either take it as a whole or we don't take it at all. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So why review? Why go through this? Because this needs to be fresh on our minds. This needs to be clear to every single one of us. And if you're wondering what is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is why we have the book of Romans. It is so crystal clear as you walk through this. Every single aspect of this just, it's, it's not like this is our gospel that we can tamper with. No, this is God's gospel that he clearly defines through the book of Romans. And so we're going back through this. In a very practical sense, why this refresher course? It's because we started this a year and a half ago. <laughs> and very practically, there's individuals here that are part of our worship here today that weren't here a year and a half ago. Praise God for that. You've jumped on the tour bus after the journey is gone. I mean, after we started on the journey. We love having you on the tour bus. But we need to talk about some of those things we saw in the first couple chapters. So for that reason, buckle your seatbelts, put your tray tables and seat backs in their upright and locked positions. And let's jump into Romans by starting into Romans chapter 8. Let's start with the passage that we left off with Two months ago, Paul's encouragement to the believers behind us at this halftime, Romans 1 through 8, ahead of us in the second half, Romans 9 through 16. Romans 8, though, I want to start by reading the wonderful truths of Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Would you follow along as I read verse 1? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. 
by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Would you jump with me down to verses 31 through 39? By the way, I like to hear the pages turn. There'll be a lot of that today. Verse 31, remember this is talking to God's redeemed people. We're in this story, in this journey. God's redeemed people, having read this now in Romans 8, verses 31 through 39, here's what we read. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Verse 33. Who shall bring us? any charge against God's elect. It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Verse 36, as it is written, for your sakes we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, verse 39, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. You can't add anything to this list. (laughs) Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. My friends, we just read one of the finest texts in all of scriptures. Well, what led up to this? How did we get to this point, this pinnacle of the book of Romans? How did we get to Romans 8, where there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus? Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. How did we get there? We got there through Romans 1 through 8. And so let's remind ourselves of these truths. But before we even do that, who's Paul writing to, my friends? Honestly, when I I preach, sometimes I try to visualize you folks as the original audience. The Church of Rome. It'd probably look a little bit different than this. No, it would look a little different than this. But some sort of corporate gathering where they came together, having worshipped in house to house, they would come together, as we find the pattern in Acts 2, they would come together to receive the word, to receive teaching. And they would come together, and I believe this was a text that was written to the church of Rome. Possibly a couple of the congregations coming together in one. Nonetheless, a book that was read to this church. 
and passed around to this church. Who is in this church? Well, I think it's very important that we understand that it is both Jewish and Gentile believers from Rome. Um, that's just like about every single church in the first century. Jewish believers who knew the ways of God, they worshipped Yahweh. Now they were brought into relationship with God through Jesus Christ, through the new covenant. Obeying Christ's commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel, to see those from the nations come in. That's just about like every church in the New Testament age, era there, the first century I should say. But there's something really neat about this church. I want to read a couple of these texts that proves to us it's both Jews and Gentiles. Would you go back to Romans 1? And let us look at 5 through 7. Because clearly the nations, the gospel spread to the nations, is in mind here. Paul, through the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, verse 5 says this, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the what? Nations. And there's so many ties. I'm going to go back and re-preach this concept of the gospel to the nations. Let the nations be glad. But verse 6 says this, including you. I love this including you, Church of Rome, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. My friends, that is, that is the significance of every single person that has ever come to Jesus Christ in saving faith. You are called to belong to Jesus Christ. By the way, remember that phrase when we jump into Romans chapter 9. You are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Verse 7, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be holy ones, saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you jump down to verse 16? This is the theme of the book, proving that there's both Jews and Gentiles that Paul's writing to. I think more predominantly, as you look at the expression here of theology, he's dialing in more to the Gentiles, but it's both. Paul says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I mean, all he's doing is talking about redemptive history. Who did God run his redemptive plan through? It was Abraham and his offspring. Leading us all, if you go back to the Abrahamic covenant, it's leading us all to Jesus, to Jesus, to Jesus. In a very practical way, I want us to think if this was the congregation in Rome. Who are we? Obviously here in Redding, California in the 21st century, predominantly Gentile believers here. Maybe there are some of Jewish ascent here, I understand. But if we are the church of Rome, what does this look like? We'll briefly review this. You'll remember, if you go to Acts chapter 2, there was a group of people at a place called Pentecost. It's clear in Acts chapter 2. 
They were believers from Rome that came to Pentecost. I believe that the church of Rome was planted as these people go back. You're going to remember a really cool couple that I believe helped in the establishment of the church of Rome. One Aquila and his wife Priscilla. Do you remember them? So you see this church planted in Rome. No apostolic visits. Not one apostle has been there. They have come from Jerusalem to plant the church in Rome. Now you have a church that is learning. They're growing. They're learning the ways of the Lord. Predominantly Jewish believers come from Pentecost, but then you see a Gentile congregation come into play. You have a mix of Jews and Gentiles. Well, then something happens A.D. 49. One of the emperors, Claudius was his name, There was an uprising, and you know what he did? Kicked all the Jews out of Rome. Doesn't matter if you're a Jewish believer in Christ or not. You are of Jewish ascent. Get out! The Edict of Claudius. Okay, so if this is the church of Rome, what does that do for us? Overnight, we have half of our congregation or less that is out of Rome, and who remains now in the church of Rome? Not a single Jew. All Gentile believers. We're talking about all of the elders at the church of Rome, all of the pastor elders, all the teachers, every one of the congregants that are staying at the church of Rome, all Gentile believers. Tell me something. Have you ever tried to go back to the Torah and read and study the Torah? You. You go back through and you read through Leviticus and... What? These are people growing up, living in pagan backgrounds, now coming to Jesus Christ in saving faith. They're thinking, they're reading, they're studying for 15 years. They're studying about the foundations of truth. Now all of your teachers from the Old Testament law showing us Christ in the Old Testament, out! And we got pastors teaching the scriptures as best as they can. Five years later, ironically enough, another one of the emperors, the adopted son of Claudius, his name was Nero, lets the Christians back in. Okay, now what do you think is going to happen? So our congregation that went from a mixed group of Jews, Gentiles, some who knew the traditions of the Old Testament, some are just learning them, now it's completely new believers, really not having an idea, much of an idea of God's redemptive plan. Now the Jews come back in and all of their jaws hit the ground when they walked into worship. What are you guys doing? Why are, what about that tradition that we've always done? In that tradition, and the Jews are starting to get angry, and the Gentiles, what are they doing? What's your problem? We got Jesus, that's all we need. So right away as you look here in the church of Rome, if this was the church of Rome, all of a sudden you've got this, these discrepancies, the potential for doctrinal confusion and frustration. And the apostle Paul writes to this church and say, let me show you exactly what the gospel is. Let me show you every single part of the dynamics of the gospel of Jesus Christ in written form. I'm going to take one verse after another and show you exactly what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. One of the greatest theological treatises 
if not the greatest theological treatise in all of human history, is what you have in your lap right now, is the book of Romans. It is showing that we are one body in Christ. All of us coming together, whether you come from a Jewish ascent and worshipped Yahweh from the time you were a little one, now you've come to saving grace through Jesus Christ, or whether you're a Gentile who worshipped the ways of paganism and humanism, now you've come into relationship with Jesus Christ, or with God through Jesus Christ. My friends, we are one in the body. And so Paul delineates exactly what the gospel is. So my friends, let's take a couple minutes and review this gospel in Romans 1 through 8. A couple key truths that you've gone through, and I'm just going to throw them out there right now. There's a couple equations I think help. One of them would be this. We're going to see in just a minute the introduction of the book of Romans is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 1.16. You can put that at the top. Everything that is talked about in the book flows from this gospel. The key terms in the first eight chapters are condemnation, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Those four key terms. If you want a, maybe a better way of understanding, I like the kapow look. Because in Romans 1.16, for the gospel, I'm not ashamed of. It is the power of God. That's why I like this one. It is the power of God flowing from the gospel. It is the condemna- this condemnation, justification, sanctification, glorification. You look at these words and you think that's just a bunch of theology. My friend, this is more than a bunch of theology. This is a story. This is the story of every single person that has ever come to Jesus Christ in saving faith. Right there. So if you've come to Jesus Christ in saving faith... It is good for us to understand condemnation, justification, sanctification, glorification. Let's start with the introduction, the gospel. Your hand, your, your, uh, your Bible's already turned to Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I hope. Because in this chapter, we find very clearly the theme of this book. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now verse 17 is attached to this theme, and it's very important because this guides the rest of the discussion. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. As much as I want to go back and preach those two verses, I want to refrain. We did that a year and a half ago. Nonetheless, we must acknowledge right here, this is setting, this is setting the path. It is setting the stage for the rest of the discussion. The glorious gospel of Jesus Christ that reveals Christ or God's righteousness. What is this gospel? What is this gospel? In simple definition, as we see in Romans 1, 16 and 17, it is the good news. The word gospel is the word good news. It is the good news of God's saving righteousness. In other words, it is the good news that God Almighty, the standard for all that is right and holy and just, catch that, He is the standard. God is the standard, not me. 
not you. God is the standard for all that is holy and just and right. He has expressed His power by providing salvation for unrighteous sinners. You remember this question answered through Romans. Remember this question we posed a year and a half ago? This is the question that's answered through the book of Romans. How can a righteous God make an unrighteous person righteous and do it in a righteous way? Did you catch that? That is answered in the book of Romans. How can a righteous God make an unrighteous person righteous but do it in a righteous way? How does he do it? The answer, my friends, is the gospel. He does it through the gospel. This is incredibly practical. Why? Because, again, I will reiterate the fact that we live in a culture that wants to sculpt the gospel the way we want it. We want to look the way we like it. And so we'll cut parts of the gospel off and add parts to the gospel in. Well, Paul very clearly says, no, this is the gospel. This is God's gospel. And it starts with the first point he makes in the book. A point you cannot get around if you want to embrace the gospel. We cannot ignore this word. Condemnation. My friends, we cannot ignore this word. Wrath. Why? Because condemnation is the just expression of God's wrath toward all sinners. You cannot have the good news until you first interact with the bad news. The bad news shown to us in Romans 1.18. Would you put your finger down to Romans 1.18 and follow as I read. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The biblical fact is this. You cannot have the gospel without the reality of condemnation. There's a lot we could talk about right now, but the simple fact in the scriptures is God is holy. We are not. Starting in the first chapters of your Bible in Genesis, we see that man rebelled against the holy God. This carries us all the way through the Bible looking for that rescuer. And Paul, in the book of Romans, and actually you can turn your hand out over to get a little bit more of the details of this. This is kind of our our game plan through the book. Paul very strategically points out that all human beings are under the condemnation of a holy God. How does he do that? Well, in the the second part of chapter uh, 1, All the way to the end of chapter 1, he points out that condemnation is for all truth suppressors. Anyone that has taken God's revealed truth and suppressed it. I I think very likely this is talking about Gentiles. So what's the point at the end of chapter 1? Hey, Gentiles, all of you, not a single one of you, is exempt from God's wrath because you are all sinners. Okay, and so now you're talking to the Gentiles. What are the Jews on the other side of the congregation saying? Yeah, but we've got the law of Moses. We're good. What does Paul systematically do in chapter 2? He proves the condemnation of the self-righteous Jew. It's in there. 
that you are not saved simply because you are of Adam or Abraham's seed. No, as we see unfolded through the book of Romans, you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that is salvation. And for some reason, if you don't think you're part of the Gentiles or the Jews, if you're some sort of alien creation of some sort, I don't know. (laughs) Then, that is who he includes at the end of chapter 3. Condemnation of the whole world. Would you look with me at chapter 3? Flip over to chapter 3. You can't summarize it any better than what Paul does in chapter 3, verses 10. Like you're, you're thinking, you're thinking, he says all of the Jews, all the Gentile truth suppressors are, are, deserve God's condemnation, the wrath of God. All the Jewish self-righteous people deserve the condemnation of God. And if you're not part of those two, all of the whole world deserves God's righteous, just, holy condemnation. Here's how he says it in chapter 3. You know these verses. Verse 10, as it is written, none is righteous. Not even one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. My friends, take that to mind. No one in and of themselves, because of their depraved nature, will ever seek after this God. There has to be a work of grace in their life. Verse 12, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. They think they're full of value. They think they're full of worth. But my friends, they're sinners deserving condemnation. Then the last part of verse 12, you can't get any clearer. No one does good, not even one. What is the conclusion of chapters 1 through 3? In the gospel of Jesus Christ, all are sinners. All desperately need help. A quick time out, my friends, as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ in Redding, California, with our neighbors, you can't ignore that truth. You cannot simply say, I want to tell you all about this aspect of God, without first talking at some point of having a recognition of the fact that people are sinners in the presence of a holy God. I have a little four-year-old right now, Emma. Oh, and she's trying to put this together. And we talk regularly of this almighty God who is gracious and loving, sent his son Jesus to die for us. Oh, and she wants to hear about this. And we talk to her often about this, but my friends, then we come to the point and I say, Emma, what is sin? Her head goes down a little bit. It's disobeying. It's so disobedience to this holy God. It is rebellion. My friends, even three, four, five-year-olds need to understand that they stand in offense to a holy God. You cannot have the good news of the gospel without the bad news of condemnation before a holy God, the wrath of God. This isn't something we stand in all we talk about. No, because we talk about it, but then, my friends, we run to the next part of Romans. We look forward to this good news. We acknowledge the bad news, but then we go to the next key word. Praise God for justification. If you would look with me at chapter 3, verse 23. 
bringing these dots together. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. What is propitiation, by the way? It is a satisfaction of God's wrath. Jesus was the satisfaction of God's holy wrath. To be received by lots and lots and lots of good works. That's not what it says. It is grace to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former, former sins. Verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What is this justification, my friend? It is a declaration of righteousness for undeserving sinners. I'm not going to go back and reset the whole courtroom scene as we've talked of in the past. But in this courtroom, you have a clear verdict of guilty. I mean, and that is, this, this word justified is clearly a legal term. It means to vindicate. It means to declare a favorable verdict. It means to be acquitted of all charges. It is a pronouncement that the standard has been met. It isn't just we're going to erase that. It is someone else took your penalty. They paid for it. And now you as a deserving sinner standing condemned before a holy God, you are declared to be a righteous son of an almighty, holy God. (sighs) Blows our mind. How through Jesus Christ we could stand condemned as an enemy of a God. Through the cross and the resurrection, faith in this God, this Christ, we now stand free. We stand as sinners saved by God's amazing grace. We stand as heirs of the King. That is this justification. As you see on the back of your handout, justification's terms, we talk very clearly of those because Paul doesn't leave us hanging because this is where a lot of people derail. How do you then get this justification? How can you be declared righteous? Any one of the world religions or modern cults will take this point and mess with it. How do you receive justification? The clear terms in the Word of God, it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Clearly. In Romans chapter 3, 21 through 25. I love it then because Paul goes right to justification's objectives. What is that? That man might not boast, but that God would receive all the glory. (laughs) Isn't that the purpose of our entire existence? That God would receive all the glory? That is the purpose, my friends, of your salvation and my salvation. Not that I receive the glory, but that God gets all the glory through saving a sinner like me. Paul reaches back into the Old Testament for the primary example of justification by faith, why not start with Abraham? (laughs) Father of the children of Israel. He being justified by faith. Looking forward to the cross, or forward to Christ, the rescuer. Further talked about justification's value, 
That is peace with God, access to God, even through trials. In Romans 5, we talked of justification's triumph. And I love how Paul ends Romans chapter 5. Maybe you're there. Uh, I won't go to the direct verse, but I will quote it. Here he says, where, gr- where sin abounded, grace superabounded. My friends, that is the story of justification. Where you were drowning in your sin and your debt. God in His grace stepped in and through Christ He has declared us righteous. Now where sin abounded, grace superabounded, And we have been declared righteous by a holy God. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we go from condemnation to justification. By the way, one other verse. There's so, we should just do a reading of this entire book again, but that's what homework's for, right? Romans 5, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners. Oh, catch that. God shows his love for us, and when we got our lives all cleaned up, then he saved us. That's not what this says. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And this leads us directly into the now what of salvation. Condemnation, standing guilty before a holy God. Justification, being declared righteous by a holy God. Now what? That is sanctification. How to live for this holy God. Romans chapter 6. So jump into Romans 6. Verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. I love that terminology. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Okay, if you want to hear the description of what it means to be sanctified, you're in verse 22 of chapter 6. Jump up to verse 3. So go from verse 22 of chapter 6 up to verse 3. Here's a wonderful description of what it means to be sanctified. And the process of sanctification. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Identified with his death through faith? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might, what? Walk in newness of life. My friend, this is the gospel. The gospel is not that just that you've been changed from condemned to justified. The gospel of Jesus Christ reaches into every day of our lives. My friends, that is why our prayer as a pastor team here at Cross Point Community Church is that every single study we ever have focuses in on the fact that the gospel is efficient. Jesus Christ is sufficient. The gospel is to change everything we do. The good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. Okay, so this sanctification, what is it? It's the continual consecration of believers toward righteousness. 
Uh, the, the actual word means to be set aside for a purpose, to be consecrated. What do we consecrate it? I mean, there's two aspects of this. It's being consecrated away from sin and consecrated to Christ-likeness. That is this journey. That's why we often talk about sanctification in terms of a journey. As you walk through three of the most powerful uh, chapters in all of the Bible, Romans 6, 7, and 8, you find very clearly that our sanctification is grounded in our new identity in Christ. It is empowered by the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. I love this. Because when we come to Jesus Christ in saving faith, we've been justified. God Almighty, His Son, Jesus, having gone to the cross for us, the Spirit of God indwells every single believer to give us the power to live for Jesus today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day. We cannot do it on our own. It is the Holy Spirit of God that is using the Word of God to grow us every single day. Your theological mind full already? Let's go to one other. We get to the end of Romans 6-8. through 8. We cannot help but praise God for his, the relationship he has established through Jesus Christ. We come to this now, this wonderful assurance. Catch this. God's righteousness revealed through glorification. Here's the simple point. What God starts, he finishes. If he's begun a good work in you, he will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ, Paul says in Philippians. That is the point of glorification. If you would look with me at Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us, or to us. It's tough. It's real tough. You're battling your flesh every day. That anger that wells up within you? Ugh. Those lustful thoughts that seem to terrorize you every day? That doubt and depression and discouragement that you can't seem to get hold of? My friend, those pains, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Chapter 8, you know this verse if you jump down to verse 28. Look with me at verse 28. Let your eyes rest on a wonderful verse that we quote probably more than any other verse in the book of Romans. All, and we know, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purposes. Who's called according to His purposes? All those in Romans chapter 1 through 8. Verse 29, For those whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also what? Glorified. Going back to that discussion, this is the chain, the golden chain of salvation. All five of these happen in every single true believer. You cannot just take one of these and say, I like this one, but not that one. All of these happen in every single one 
of those who've come to Jesus Christ in saving faith. When we talk about glorification, we're talking about, oh, that day. The full transformation of every adopted child of God. The full transformation of every adopted child of God whose entire being at the return of Christ will experience the promise of a resurrected body, the complete release from sin, the full participation in God's eternal glory. Sunday mornings, I don't generally have much um, time to just sit down. I'm usually going at reviews and thinking and praying. Well, today, getting ready for church, my wife usually plays on the worship team. She had a Sunday off, so we were at home, and she was helping get the girls ready, and I sat down on the couch long enough to sit there and realize that today was my Grandma Ruth's birthday. She's in the presence of Almighty God right now with my grandpa, who died a year ago. And thinking through these last 43 years that she has been experiencing this Christ. My grandpa for the last year has been experiencing this Christ. And sitting there thinking, my friends, through Christ, I will one day be in the presence of God Almighty. Every one of us who have ever come to Jesus Christ in saving faith will be with Jesus. What he started, he will finish. That is glorification in Romans chapter 8. We talk about glorification's hope, glorification's guarantee, glorification's assurance. That is where we end, Romans 8. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Death cannot separate you from the love of this God. Life, angels, principalities, whatever it might be, cannot separate you from the love of Christ. The love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. My friends, this is the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Condemnation, justification, sanctification, glorification. God Almighty saves sinners I love how Paul says it, of whom I am chief. This is a righteous God making an unrighteous person righteous and doing it in a righteous way. However, you've noticed, we're eight chapters in and we've got eight chapters to go. We have 208 verses left in the book of Romans. Hold on. We're not going to go through any of them this morning. Come back next week, and we're going to launch into a preview of some of the most beautiful chapters in all of the Bible. Some people approach Romans 9 through 11 with a bit of apprehension, but as you have interacted with Romans 1 through 8, when you enter into Romans 9, you realize this is amazing. This God is amazing. I want to end every single sermon with a so what. And here's the so what for today. Has God's gospel driven 
Ask yourself this question. Has God's gospel, and I want to intentionally say it that way, has God's gospel, not the gospel that you want, but God's gospel, has it driven you to worship God fully and faithfully? Why, why do I ask that question? My friend, if God's gospel doesn't cause us to incessantly worship God, we haven't truly grasped the gospel. Catch that. Yes, we may have been saved by this gospel and understood elements of it, but if it doesn't drive us to incessantly worship this God, then we haven't truly grasped the enormity of this gospel. If God's gospel causes us to worship us first, we'll talk more about this next week, we have found the wrong gospel. If God's gospel forces us to change elements to make it more palatable, we have abandoned the true gospel. If I could be absolutely clear here today, and we'll close with this, there are two types of people that are sitting here in this congregation today. Those who by faith have received this gospel, and those who self-dependence, potentially self-deception, have rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. My friend, in all seriousness, who are you? Salvation doesn't come, this justification doesn't come by going to church every Sunday morning. Justification doesn't come by being a really, really, really good person. Justification doesn't come by feeding the poor or even being baptized. The scripture says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. In Romans chapter 10, we're going to find very clearly these words in verse 9. If you confess your, with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. My friend, if you've never come to Jesus Christ in saving faith, would today be that day? Over the last, well, 50 minutes now, You've heard, you've heard clearly articulated the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you believe? I'll close with this quote from the great reformer, Martin Luther. No, we don't agree with all of Martin Luther, but I love how he exposes how we are to interact with the book of Romans. He describes it this way. This epistle is really the chief part of the New Testament and very, the very purest gospel. It is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart, but occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of our soul it can never be read or pondered too much. And the more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. My friends, this week will you interact with this as we start into the next half of the book of Romans. So God, thank you so much for the time we could spend today. Let's refresh your course on what we've already talked of on this book. Thank you for the truths. I pray, God, that by your grace, we would not just receive them into our minds, but that you would take them and plant them deep into our hearts. Oh God, I pray that if there are those who have never come to you in saving faith, that this would be that day that they would truly experience this amazing grace. We love you, Father.
my friend, as you're sitting there, I'm not going to extend this too long, but I want to encourage you that you don't delay. My friend, come to Jesus Christ. We're going to pray a closing prayer in just a minute, have a closing song, and there's going to be elders and chaplains, a couple of them that will be standing over here to my right, your left. If you have questions about this gospel, this Jesus, my friend, would you, would you have those questions answered today? Would you come to Jesus Christ in saving faith? Call on Jesus Christ to save you. Our Father, we thank you for the time we could spend in your word today. I pray as you're drawing individuals to yourself, as you tell us you would, your Holy Spirit is doing a work through the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Thank you for the time we could spend today just renewing this in our minds. I pray that you'd bless now as we close in an anthem of praise to you, reminding ourselves how amazing this grace is. We love you, Father, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My friends, would you stand? Thank you for the listening ear today. You're very attentive, even though uh, we went just a tad long. Some of you came today to share of your resources. Uh, We're not going to pass offering plates. There's boxes in the back. Thank you for coming to church today. It is great to see you. I hope that these truths that we talk of today will drive you to walk with this Christ every moment of every day this week.